This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Just to get your head around it, I don't know if you've seen the scenes uh, in, um, on the telly about the protests about uh, Mahasha, good job I didn't do the dedications, is it? Mahasha Amini's death in the custody of the Islamic police. And uh, I don't know what you thought about that, that as, as kind of women uh, have cut their hair and women have, have burnt head coverings, uh, and I, I suspect like me, most of you probably thought, great, yeah? Most of us... Western, liberal, kind of uh, uh, people we thought, great, that's great. We, we, you know, we, we don't want women to have to wear head coverings. The Muslim men don't wear head coverings. Why do women wear head coverings? Let's, we, we, we don't want that. And, and you probably think that's great, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, okay. Thank you, Elliot. One of you does, anyway. But imagine if you were a strict Muslim. Imagine you were a strict Muslim. How do you feel about that now? You'd feel that's an act of subversion, wouldn't you? You'd feel it's an act of pulling down the strict teachings of the Quran and centuries-old traditions about modesty of women. You'd think that actually what's happening here is that, that, that women are removing the key things that mark them out uh, as Muslim women, and they're becoming like Western women, immoral, secular Western women. That's what the other side would, would, would think about it. And I, I'm not, um, obviously, on that side, but I just want you to imagine... The, the big moves that happen when you take away boundary markers. So I remember when I used to go to church when I was younger, uh, the women used to wear head coverings. Imagine if I said, right, everybody, uh, as you come in, ladies, we've got a load, of de- uh, a load of doilies for you to put on your heads, a load of tea towels. I remember one time when my mom came up to pray at church that she didn't have a head covering, so they grabbed a, a tissue and put it over her head like, whoa, anyone remember that? Thank Frank's members that, well done. You know, imagine that. Okay, most of you are not, not getting into that. Okay, imagine guys who said, right, okay, well, you're all going to need to be circumcised. Before we move on here, I know you're a visitor, whatever, we're all going to be circumcised. <laughs> you think, what kind of church is this we've come to? You, you would be absolutely shocked, wouldn't you, about that. If we said those things, you'd say, but actually, what we've got to understand is some of those visible boundary markers, some of those things that, that marked out uh, the, uh, marked out Jewish women, or marked out Muslim women, or marked out Muslim men, uh, 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 or Jewish men, were really, really critical. And if you read the, the Bible through the sort of latter part, most of the discussion is about what are we going to do with those things. And you might think, oh no, I'm really glad I came this morning. Hopefully it will be more than that. But, but um, this is my big idea, okay? This is my big idea. I wrote it down. This is my only one where it's actually me. So the, my title is The Gospel Goes Global, but this is what the big idea. So let, I'm just going to read it out to you. We see a massive paradigm, that's a way of thinking, shift in Acts for the Jesus movement to be transformed from a small Jewish messianic, that means they believe that Jesus is a messiah, sect that kept all the Jewish boundary markers, Sabbath keeping, food laws, male circumcision, to being a multicultural, multinational movement 
that although they worshipped the God of Israel, weren't mar marked out by any of the Jewish God-given boundary markers. So that's where we're kind of going this morning. You might think, oh, but bear with, there is application for us. Let me pray. Father, I just pray as we go through this passage and we pick up the story that we wouldn't feel this, this is unrelated to us, whether we're Christian or not. Lord, but we'd feel the, the massive transformation that was going on in that first century and how that massively impacts our lives, whether we consider ourselves Christians or not. And I just pray, let, let, give me clarity, brevity, help us to communicate this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let me just give you up to speed. If you put the map up, let me just go where we are. So, uh, no, one back one. So we, last week we, we talked about this guy called Stephen who was uh, stoned, not that kind of stoned, different kind of stoned. I know it's difficult now. You don't know what, to, what, what do you must say. Anyway, he was stoned to death and they said this about him. This man never stopped speaking against this holy temple and against the law of Moses. For we have heard that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses. So this big stress about what we're going to do about the customs of Moses. And then what happens is there's a massive persecution. We've got the map now. There's a massive persecution. One, Christians are uh, uh, persecuted and scattered. Remember Jesus had said, going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to, Judea to the ends of the earth, uh, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And what happened is they're all sat inside their kind of nice little Christian churches or nice little Christian communities and didn't do it. And the persecution comes and they get scattered. And actually sometimes bad stuff happens to make you do God's will. Just a, there's another sermon there. And then the next thing is the Samaritans. That was the next place to go to. Uh, a guy called Philip, who was uh, is a friend of Stephen's, he goes and the Samaritans receive Jesus. And then the next thing that happens is uh, Philip is told, go on a quick journey. Uh, so he's up there and he goes on a quick journey to, to what is now Gaza. And he meets an Ethiopian who uh, works for the uh, Queen of Ethiopia. And he's reading this, he's reading Isaiah 53. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our sins, and the punishment that brought his peace was on him. And Philip tells Ethiopian, that's Jesus. And he says, right, okay, I'll get baptised. And I know you might think, well, that's no big deal. You know, you might be scratching your head and think, what's a, what's a eunuch? But actually, it's the first non-Jew, the first non-Jew to make it into the Jesus movement. Then Philip is teleported, I'd love this, he's teleported from there up to the Judean coast. I mean, it's amazing, he just says he was caught up. I mean, like Star Trek, he was just suddenly there, and the next week is up to Judean coast, and he starts preaching about Jesus there. And then the next thing is, uh, Peter then goes to the places where Philip's been preaching, and he, uh, he prays for two people. He prays for a guy called Aeneas, and he says, uh, where have you seen this before? Get up, take up your mat and walk. Where have you heard that before? Who said that? Yeah, that is usually the answer when asking you a question. And the second one, he meets this, uh, 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 Peter meets this woman called Tabitha, or, and, uh, or this woman called Tabitha, and, and she's described in really glowing terms for a woman. I mean, in, in Jewish, uh, church, uh, Jewish synagogues, women weren't even noticed, but he says this woman does good and she helps the poor, etc., etc. And then she dies, and, and, and Peter goes and takes her by the hand and says, Tabitha, get up. Who have we heard say that before? Jesus, great. Okay, so that's where we are. So we've done that, and then um, this is where we get to. Now, what I'm going to do, it's a bit like a, it's a long story, and I'm do, you probably think, oh, hang on a minute, it's a long story, just give me a couple of little takeaways. But actually, when you go watch a movie, you don't just watch one scene, do you? You kind of let the thing build up. So hopefully, we'll let it build up. So I've got five scenes, whoa, so let's go. Okay, so the first scene is a guy called Cornelius. Let's read the Bible. 
Uh, Cornelius, it says, Acts uh, 10, verse 1, at Caesarea there was a man called Cornelius, a centurion in what's known as the Italian cohort. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He generously gave to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who said to him, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him with fear. That's what you always do if you see an angel. I've not done, but I'm sure I would. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man called Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel had spoke to him, Cornelius and his two attendants, uh, two servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, he told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. So we've got this guy, he's a... In, in the elite terms, he's an, in, he's an insider. He's you know, a high-ranking, uh, he's a centurion in the Roman Empire. He's kind of wealthy, he's an elite, whatever. But to the Jews, he's an outsider. He's an outsider. There's no way that they would have had anything to do with him. He wouldn't have, they wouldn't have gone into his house. Uh, they wouldn't have um, in any way uh, uh, been in contact with him. And now, but we hear that actually he's a, he's a, he's a God-fearer which means he wants to believe in the God of, of Israel, but, he, but he, he, he doesn't want to do circumcision. He doesn't want to eat the different foods. He doesn't want to give up his bacon sandwiches. He doesn't want to do all that. It, it, so he's kind of like a God-fearer, but he's, follow, he's following some of the Jewish practices. He's, he's uh, praying at 3 o'clock, which is a Jewish time to pray, and he's giving to the poor. And he sees a vision of an angel. And he says to the angel, what is it? Then, and the angel says, your prayers and gifts have come up a memorial offering before God. So this guy's an outsider. No, he's not, he wouldn't have been accepted in the synagogue. They would have had nothing to do with him. Uh, you know, he's the guy from the occupying forces. I don't know who, who the equivalent of, a, of, of an outsider would be here, you know, in our culture. But he's definitely an outsider. You know, he's, he's the, uh, uh, if you'd say, he's a Russian soldier in Ukraine equivalent. That, that's who he is. It's like, no way would we have anything to do with him. Not just on political grounds, but also on religious grounds. We're not having anything to do with him. And then the angel says something amazing. He says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering. Now, a guy called John Stott says this about the memorial offering. A memorial offering was part of the temple sacrifice that's regarded as God's share of the meal. Was the angel of the Lord accepting as holy... Uh, this offering by a Gentile who had never been permitted to enter the temple to sacrifice. It seems that God was acting to break down barriers between Jew and Gentile by treating the prayers and the giving to the poor, the alms, of a Gentile as equivalent to the sacrifice of a Jew. That's massive, isn't it? It's massive. If you've grown up all your life saying that you had to go to the temple to make a sacrifice of an animal, and then what happens is an angel visits you and says, actually your prayers and your giving to the poor count as much. That is massive, massive. And he says, and then he says to him, go and find Peter. Scene two. Scene two. Peter has a vision. Peter is the disciple that denied Jesus three times. If you don't, uh, that's quite helpful background knowledge. Uh, anyway, so Peter is uh, having a vision. Peter's vision, food for thought. About noon the following day, they were on their journey. That's the people from Cornelius, his Roman soldier, and two servants, who were all Gentiles, non-Jews. Uh, on a journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry. In fact, Peter's always hungry. I don't know if you read the Bible, Peter is always hungry. You know, I don't know, he reminds me of probably me, whatever, we went out for lunch, and she said, Naomi said, why do you have such a big portion? I thought, 
I'm always hungry. You know, Peter is always hungry. You know, Jesus is doing things and Peter's looking for food. So Peter's hungry. No, no big deal. Peter's hungry. Peter went to the roof to pray and he began hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a vision or a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet or tablecloth was let down to the earth for its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And the voice... We'll find out that's Jesus, actually. But the voice said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Same language as he'd said to the, 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 the crippled lady, say, uh, to the crippled man, and same language he'd said to the dead lady, get up. So there's obviously something there, get up and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, I've never eaten anything impure before. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything pure which God has made clean. And this happened a third time, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. It's interesting that Peter's needs to make a massive change. And I think we need to make a massive change. And that's partly why the application from this. But, but the voice that Peter recognises is Jesus. Jesus is saying to him, go and break that religious rule that you've had all your life. That's, certainly that's what Peter hears. He says, surely not, Lord. He said that before. When, Peter said, when Jesus said, I'm going to get crucified... Uh, uh, Peter said, no way, surely not, Lord. So he says, surely not, Lord. And then he quotes from Ezekiel, I've never eaten anything pure. And Peter sees nothing on the table that's fit to eat. He sees all animals that the law of Moses was said, you can't eat that. You can't have anything to do with that. You can't touch that. But he also sees animals that you could eat, beef burger, whatever, I don't know, animals that you could eat. And because it's sitting next to a pork, pulled pork sandwich, he thinks, well, you can't, the one is touching the other, you can't have anything to do with it. And he's absolutely confused and he says, no, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to, this is what makes me a Jew. I'm, what I, my food, my kosher food, that's what makes me a Jew. I'm not going to eat that. And because that food that I could eat has touched that food that I couldn't eat, I'm not going to eat any of it. But what Peter doesn't realise is that Jesus went around breaking all the rules. Jesus went around breaking all the rules. So Jews weren't allowed to touch lepers. Jesus is touching lepers and healing them. Jews weren't allowed to touch, excuse me, menstruating women. Jesus, a menstruating woman touches Jesus and he's not unclean. What happens is when Jesus touches people who are seen to be unclean or outsiders, whatever, they become clean and he invites them in. And Peter doesn't get it. His mind is like, no, 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 this can't be happening. I can't be asked to eat this food. But let's, be, let's not be hard on Peter. Imagine if I'd said, right, we are no longer going to do bread and wine because God's told me in a vision. You'd go, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. That's, that's what we do, isn't it? That's what we do. We can't do that. And so Peter's really, really worried about this. And he says three times, and I think it's significant, three times, no, God, no, 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 I'm not going to break those rules. And three times God says to him, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. But it's interesting. If anybody knows what's happened to Peter, Peter denied Jesus three times. He said, I don't believe in you, I don't want anything to do, you know, I'm not with you, and whatever. Three times he said, I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them. And three times the voice comes and says, come on, Peter, do this. And three times he says no. Maybe what's happening is that the, the voice from heaven, which is Jesus, is saying, Peter, you were a mess. You were unclean. 
you broke all the rules, but I made you clean. And Peter's kind of maybe struggling with it, and he's trying to get his head around it. And we have people, don't we? We have people that we think you're not supposed to associate with. We have people that you think, they're not very Christian, or they're not very nice, or they're not really acceptable here. Uh, and and, and you, you could, maybe you could think, who, who, you know, let's, let's not do it because I don't want to be controversial necessarily. Who, who wouldn't be acceptable here? Who, who's not really the sort of person that would be acceptable in a church? Who, who are that? Think of that person. If that person came here, imagine I, okay, let's be, let's be right. Maybe I said, right, I'm going to start to wear a dress. Yeah? You know, my, our culture might say that's fine, but some of you might say, some of you might say, hey, you've become an Anglican, let's not go there. But, <laughs> you, know, where, you know, you'd think, wow, that's really, no, 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 that's not right. Was it? No, 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 you can't do that. No, 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 you can't do that. And we've got these people that we think you're unclean and outside and you can't be invited. Think about that person, because that's the equivalent of what um, Peter's been asked to do. Anyway, something changes. Something changes. Let's move quick. Something changes. Scene three, Peter's hospitality to three Gentiles. It says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of this vision, the sheet with all the different food on, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit of God said to him, Simon, these three men are looking for you. Go up, get up, same words again, get up, go downstairs, don't hesitate to go with them, because they sent them. At this point, he doesn't know they're Gentiles. He doesn't know he's not supposed to be with them in his head. Peter came down and said to the men, in a bit of a grumpy old voice, am I the one you're looking for? Why have you come? And maybe he's from Yorkshire, I don't know. Uh, and then the men said, we've come from Cornelius, the Roman centurion. They try and kind of, Peter obviously looks like, whoa, what are you, I'm not even into it. And he says, no, no, don't worry. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by all the Jewish people. Maybe Peter softens at that point. And then he plays the, the visitors by their trump card. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that you could hear what he had to say. And then read this verse, read verse 23 together, that last verse. Read it together with me. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. These were like the outsiders, the unclean. If Peter had spent any time with them, if he'd, uh, if he'd touched them, he'd become unclean. There was like the persona non grata. You could not be with them. And he invites them to stay with him. And Jesus used to get hammer for this, didn't he? Jesus used to get hammer for doing exactly this. They always, they always criticised Jesus. They always criticised for him associated with, out, uh, with the outsiders and unclean. They used to say it about him, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. If he was a prophet, he'd know this woman was, had been a prostitute. They were surprised, they said, see him talking to a Samaritan woman. He said to the centurion, I've not seen such faith in Israel. And, 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 and Jesus had constantly done that, but we don't. And Peter didn't. Because who you eat with and who you spend time with says massively about who's really important to you. Who's really important to you. Jesus says, when you invite a dinner party, don't invite the people who can invite you back. So who do we invite? Who do I invite? Who do it's so easy to invite? Well, let's invite people like me. People who are white, people who are British, 
people who are educated, people who are middle class, people who are married with children. Let me invite them. They can come. But if you're not white, if you're not British, if you're not educated, if you're not middle class, if you're single, now you can't come. I've never had a, a prostitute come to my house because she needed help. And I've never said come and sit down, but Jesus had a, a, a woman who was a prostitute wash his feet. There's something radical about Jesus that we just don't get. We like to stay in our little box and say, this is what is safe. This is who is acceptable. This is the sort of people that can come to church. This is not the sort of person that can come to church. But Peter does something radical, doesn't he? He does something with a simple invite in a subtle moment around a table. It's Peter the Jew who would never eat with Gentiles, Simon the Tanner, Tanner is, they obviously you know what a Tanner is, they kill animals and they clean the skins, he's unclean, two Gentile servants and a, and a Roman soldier and they sit down together. It's abs- Thank you Christopher, everyone else is not getting the importance of this. <laughs> it is absolutely radical. This is like a Muslim from the West Bank in Palestine sitting down with a priest from Jerusalem. This is, you know, this is a Catholic Pope sitting down with a Pentecostal black pastor. This is kind of everybody who's different sitting down together and saying it's fine. This, you know, this is the, the, the poor and the broken rough sleeper sitting down with Prince Charles. Yes. He's, I, I tell you, it's been, it's, I'll do that a few times with King Charles. In fact, we got the holiday, didn't we? Have you got that? Put that in the diary. You got the holiday? Great. I love a holiday. I shall be watching. I shall be watching. I don't suppose... Actually, I think that was interesting at the Queen's funeral, she'd made sure that some real outsiders were invited. Obviously took Gavin Williamson's seat, if you saw that on the news. You know, real outsiders were invited to her funeral. She, she, she made that happen. But we don't like it. And Peter, with his simple invite t- that becomes a landslide, takes the Jewish movement from a minor exclusive Jewish sect of men that were circumcised, that ate the right foods, that did the Sabbath, to people like us. People like us. A multinational, ethically inclusive global movement. So let's move on. Yes. Okay. So scene four. We're getting there. Are you still with me? You realise what's happening? A big, big change is going on. A big world history changing moment's happening around Peter's table. Scene four, God does not show prejudice. Prejudice is a massive word in our culture, isn't it? It's a massive word in our culture. You know, prejudice is the one of the worst things that you can do. And we're going to sit right, see now in scene four that God does not show prejudice. Next day, Peter starts out with the guys. He's had dinner with them. They stayed overnight. And, and he says, and some of the believers, they would be Jewish, uh, believers in Jesus from Joppa, went along, they went up the coast to Caesarea, it's kind of a long way. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius, the Roman uh, centurions, expecting them, and they called together his whole household and close friends. It's like, he invites everybody. It's not like he just has him, his friends. He invites all, the, all his other, his wife's his Roman wife, I presume he just had one, although sometimes Romans did have two, and he invites all his slaves and all his servants and all the friends from his, uh, from his barracks, that used to go, you know, they like to have a good time on a night out, and he invites them all along. It says, as Peter entered the house, 
You'd never go in a Jewish house, in a, in a Gentile's house. First time. First time. Cornelius met him and I fell at his feet with reverence, but Pete made, Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. And says, while Peter was talking for him, while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And then he says this, we are well aware, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that we should not call anything impure or unclean. So you're well aware that good churchgoer type people associate with these kind of people in this kind of place. But God has said, God has said, don't call anybody impure. Now that's, at the moment, you, your head might be spinning and we'll cover that in a moment, but that is massive. That's massive. Peter's saying, I shouldn't be here with you. I shouldn't be here with you. According to my traditions, you're an outsider, you're not acceptable, you're unclean, you're dirty, I have nothing to do with you. This is kind of Peter's burn the hijab moment. And Peter, Jesus has said, I give you the keys to the kingdom, he's taking the key and put it in the door marked no outsiders, no Gentiles, and he's about to turn it. Why? Because God said. God said. You know, sometimes he says, Peter says, God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure. It's not my job to decide if you're pure or not. It's not Peter's job. God has that job. I shouldn't be drawing boundaries around those who I think that God are acceptable and chosen and those that he hasn't. And I, I observe it in my own heart and I observe it in your hearts perhaps. You might be in tea and coffee and somebody really like you. I don't mean somebody who really likes you, that never happens to me. But somebody really like you comes and, uh, into tea and coffee and you go straight over and chat to them. And somebody who's not like you, you don't go over at all. Think, they're not my kind of people. Peter's showing prejudice. We all show prejudice. We all say who's in and who's out, who's acceptable to be my friend, to be in community, who's fine to be around, and who's not. And Peter's now clear that the vision says the gospel is going to go across those boundaries. Jewish followers of Jesus are not to huddle together for ritual purity, hiding safely behind their cultural barriers. We're not buying chapel arts so that we can all huddle together to keep all the nasty people away and so we can have a lovely time together. Amen. Say that again, Kezia. So we say that again? We're not buying chapel hearts so we can have a little bit of time and huddle together in our little building. Amen. Okay, a few more of you, thank you. We're not doing that. We're actually doing it to say, come on, you can come in. You can come in. I, we've already, Tom and I have already said to a group, you can come in, haven't we? I know they're not, very rad, they're not kind of very radical, unclean. They're the school children of Cheltenham. We've said, yeah, you can run your concerts at Chapel Arts when we buy it. We've said to the jazz people who have already been there, say, yeah, you can do your jazz at Chapel Arts. And the guy who owns Chapel Arts said to me, he said, mm, maybe some of your people become jazz followers. And I said, maybe some of your people might become followers of Jesus. Who knows? Because if the jazz followers, they're not the unclean bunch, by the way. It's the country music people that really want to keep it off. <laughs> you know, not the jazz followers, if the jazz followers and the people of, of God never meet, 
We're never going to become jazz followers, but they are never become followers of Jesus, are they? And if we huddle together in that building, uh, if we never cross the cultural barriers, if we never go to the outside, if we never say, come on in, they're never coming. Nearly finishing here. This is the kick quote of all, all don't quotes. A guy called Tim Keller is a pastor from New York. I've used this quote before, and I read it and I feel bad. Not that he's meant to make me feel bad, but it's meant to challenge how cozy and comfortable we become. Tim Kellerfoot says, Jesus' teaching consistently attracted the irreligious whilst offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have that effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches, we tend to draw the conservative. That is with a small C, by the way, because if it's a big C, I really would struggle. No, we tend to draw the conservative, the button down. Oh, you're all leaving now. That's it, he's drawn those boundaries. You've blown it. No, he tends to draw, we, we, we tend to draw the conservative, the button down, the moralistic people, the licentious and liberated, or the broken and marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our leaders and our practice as disciples does not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. Whew. How would we cope? How would we cope? I'm not even going to mention it because it's too controversial. If people with different lifestyles attended this church, how would we cope? Now you might think, oh, hang on a minute, he's just sliding a little bit here, isn't he? He's just sliding. I don't know if you've seen the news, I won't go into it in detail if you don't know what it is, but the Bishop of Oxford has made some stirring statements this week. And he says we should accept everyone into God's people regardless, because God loves everyone. Is that true? We should accept everyone to come to God first regardless of who they are. That is true. Yeah? But actually the Bishop kind of misses it slightly because actually the invitation is to all, but the transformation is also on offer. Peter says this, I now realise that God does not show prejudice, so neither should we, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him, seeking righteousness. Everybody's welcome, the barriers are down, there's no prejudice, no one's excluded. But we come as we are, but we don't stay as we are. We come bowing down humbly and seeking God's transforming righteousness. I'm going to read you a passage now, and and, and I w it's going to show you the whole lot, but just, a, oh, it's there already. Oh, no, it's not. Give us a passage from Corinthians 9. Now, I want to ask you, halfway through, after the first full stop, what would you say? This is what Paul says. Uh, Neither the sexually immoral, he's got a list, hasn't he? You think he's there, he's happy to mention the list that I'm not. The sexually immoral, right, out. Adulterers, out. Adulterers, out. Men who have sex with men, out. The greedy, the thieves, the, the drunkards, the slanderers, nor swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. You think, well, that's clear, isn't it? We don't have anything to do with them. And then he says these incredible words, that is what some of you were. That's what some of you were. If, if there should be, in this church, people who are sexually immoral. That's me, I'm your pastor now. Alex, it was a long time ago, right? <laughs> the adulterers, they're here, such as they were. The greedy, 
Well, we're all here, aren't we? No, you did really well on the special offer. You did really well. The slanderers, yeah, you're all on Twitter. The swindlers, I don't know. Yeah, what are you going to do with your mortgage? We, we're all here, but we're not doing that now, are we? Thank you, Tim. We're not doing that now, such as we were. But if somebody said, sorry, you can't come in, men who have sex with men, you can't come in, they're never going to change. Now, I know you can't pray for them because that's against the law, and let's not get into that. But Paul says they were, and they're not now, such as we were. You know what, what's been said here is you don't need to come and tidy up your act. Do you know, people say to me, oh, I'll come to church, but you know, I need to get myself sorted out first. You know, it's a bit like saying, well, I'm dying of a heart attack and I won't go to, I won't go to, to kind of the, the, I mean, you don't want to go to Gloucester A&E anyway, do you? Forget it. <laughs> but you know, I'm dying of a heart attack, you know, I've got this whatever, but I'm not going to go until I've healed myself. Yeah? That's nonsense, isn't it? But people have got this idea that church is about like the place where you can not go until you're clean. Because people like Peter won't like you. And I'm challenging myself on this, but this is a place where people can come messed up. Messed up. And he says, you were washed. Is that a word about cleaning? It is. You were washed. You were sanctified. That's made holy. Like a, you were justified. That means made like you'd never, as if you never did anything wrong. And you were in the name of God, by the Spirit of God, you're set free. Wouldn't we want that? Don't we want that to be our story? You know, I was far from God. I couldn't give a monkeys. Stuff had happened to me. I'm broken. My life's broken. I hate church. People have been horrible to me. Blah, blah, blah. I could tell you stories. You could say stories. I'm not having anything to do with that Peter person. But no, the barriers are down. And you're gone. Let's finish off. Two quick scenes. Very quick ones now. The Gospel. Verse 36. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace, shalom, wholeness, togetherness through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know that what happened through the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit in power, and went around doing good and healing all the under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Peter says, we're witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging on the cross, but God has raised him from the dead and on the third day caused him to be seen. And he's not seen by all people, by witnesses who God had chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He had commanded us to preach to people and to testify that he's the one who God appointed to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, let's read this, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter had messed up. He had really messed up. You know, it's like, I, do you, are you anything to do with Jesus? No, I'm nothing to do with him. I don't know the man. He even curses. He calls down curses on himself. I don't know who he is. Curse him. And says, a clock, cock crowed three times and he went out and wept. He knew he was outside. He knew he'd blown it. He was unclean. He'd, he'd, it was like over. Jesus is crucified. Peter's not there. Jesus is risen and Peter is there. And Peter, Peter's sacked it off and he said, I'm going back to fishing. 
going back to doing my job, not bothering with church again, not bothering with Jesus anymore. And then the risen Jesus cooks breakfast. Let's read this. I'm nearly done. Can you put that up? Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then Jesus took bread. He probably broke it, as would be his tradition. And he says, this is my body, broken for you. Some people felt, fine, I've always been a good person. I'll come and take, it's fine for me. But there was one guy sitting there, we know who he is, who'd said, I've blown it, I'm an outsider. I can't take bread, I can't take wine, I, I can't eat fish. Three times he says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Why did he ask him three times? You know, because he said three times I don't love you. Three times I'm done with you. And he says, yes, Lord, I know. Bless Lord, you know I love you. Peter's been on that journey. He's been the unclean, the outsider, the one who's messed it up, the one who's broken, the one who's like that. That's my story. If you know my story. In fact, we had friends, we had dinner with a friend of mine who was at college here with me. And he, he didn't he say, I was quite disappointed actually. He, he was a Christian and stayed friends with me. And he said, they all said, the Christians all said, why are you friends with that horrible man? I know you find that like, quite reasonable, but I found it quite disappointing. But actually, I'd become such an outsider, such an unclean, such a horrible man. All the people from the Christian Union didn't want anything to do with me. But he stayed. And I had that moment where Peter, like Peter had, where Jesus said, come on, do you love me? Come on, do you love me? Because let's face it, we've all been outsiders. The Roman soldier might have been the outsider in this story, but Peter's been the outsider. You've been the outsider. All of us have been outsiders. All of us have been unclean. All of us have been unacceptable. None of us are worthy. But Jesus says, come and eat and drink with me. Let's finish. And then again, the band can come back here. Scene six. The Gentile Pentecost. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The uncircumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit being poured out even on the outsiders, the Gentiles, the unacceptables, the dirty, the clean. No, not them. The Holy Spirit had been poured out on them. For they heard them speaking in tongues. And then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in their way of being baptized. We've received the, they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and they ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus, and, asked Peter, and then they asked Peter to stay with them. Peter remembers what's happened to him. He turns the key in the door, and as he opens it, God comes rushing through the door to reach the outsiders and bring them in. And isn't that what church should be about? A door that's open. Shouldn't our tables be like that? Our families, our small groups? The doors that are open, that the Spirit of God rushes out, and the broken people come in. That's how it starts. Paul says this. He says, we're all baptized by one Spirit to form one body. I love the Anglicans. I know they popped up there. 
clothes that some of them said, but they say this lovely thing, and I quite often, it says, though we are many, we are, do you know what it says? We are one body, because we share the one bread. Jesus' body, Jesus' bread. He's made us. It says we're all baptised by the one spirit to form the one body, where, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given the one spirit to drink. Or elsewhere it says, so in Jesus Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptised into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. And he's not saying everybody becomes the same, he says, but we value our differences. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. That's not everybody becomes the same gender. He's saying, no, there's no difference. Men and women equal, slaves and free equal, Jews and Gentiles equal, everyone loved, everyone accepted, everyone belongs, single and married, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, British, white, other nations. For you're all one in Christ and you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.